Thank you, Amelia. Let's uh, bow our heads for prayer as we prepare ourselves to hear God's word. Father, we ask and pray that you would uh, speak to us as only you can, especially by your Holy Spirit this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and I did it earlier at the start of the service, and some of you were not here yet, but I pointed out that it is the birthday of the church, right? The, the day of Pentecost is often acknowledged as the day in which the church really came about. And uh, who is the church? We are, right? So turn to your neighbor and say, Happy birthday. Pentecost Sunday, of course, we think of the events of Acts 2, which was just read uh, by Amelia, and we think of the power that descended upon them, right? They were waiting in Jerusalem as Jesus had commanded them, said, you shall receive power from on high to be my witnesses. And they were to wait until that happened, and that happened. And certainly in our day and age, you know, especially here in Good Shepherd, we've seen the power of God move mightily in our land. We've seen how the power of God moves mightily in individual lives, but also in the lives of the church as a whole. And uh, certainly we want to uh, uh, celebrate that power, but I want us today to look at the passage uh, that was read from 1 Corinthians, the passage appointed from the New Testament reading, and to consider uh, a different aspect of what it means to live life in the Spirit, to be in one spirit in a sense, uh, and, and, and looking at the aspects of what it means to have diversity in unity and unity in diversity. That's the point, I think, of this passage. We start out in verse 3. Paul says to the Corinthian church, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What he means, of course, is not the fact that you can utter those words, but you can say it and believe it and mean it in your heart. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to say those words and to mean those words. And you see this because if you look at the start of the chapter, the context in which he was saying it, he says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, and sisters, usually when you see that word, it means all. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And if you know, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but uh, the, the letter of Corinthians, you know, Paul seems to be addressing a number of concerns. Many scholars believe he was writing in response to a letter that came to him about the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was a wealthy church. It was a church that was very gifted, very capable. And, you know, he had uh, uh, understood that the potential for the church was great. But unfortunately, oftentimes, you know, those who are most gifted and most uh, able uh, can fall into all kinds of trouble and problems. And Corinth was such a church. And in this place, he seems to be dealing with something, especially when you look at the three chapters that follow, 12, 13, and 14. But I, I, like I said, I'll get to it later. But, you know, uh, needless to say, um, I think that the Corinthian church, in looking at the gifts of the Spirit, were chasing the spectacular. 
that they were looking for, you know, uh, things to move in ways that, um, you know, would, would titillate, would, would cause excitement. Uh, and I, I think that's human nature, isn't it? All of us want that. <laughs> All of us would love that. Um, I used um, the commentary by Gordon Fee. I think um, Wee Sing was your New Testament professor. I think uh, Wee Sing went out with the <laughs> grandchild. Uh, but uh, uh, Gordon Fee, uh, who has since passed on, uh, wrote a wonderful book, God's Empowering Presence, and he also wrote a, a commentary. He's a Pentecostal himself, and so he understands you know, things of the Spirit. But he said about this, the presence of the Spirit in power and gifts makes it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as the real evidence of the Spirit's presence. Not so for Paul. The ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord, which in turn expresses itself in loving concern for others. Whatever takes away from that, even if they be legitimate expressions of the Spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spiritual activity as an end in itself. In essence, what he's saying is, when we seek the gifts more than the giver, we end up being no different from those who chase idolatry. We make idols of our spiritual practices. We make idols of the gifts that God gives us, as opposed to worshipping the God who gives these gifts. And so that's why he wanted to set things straight and say, you know, the primary reason is we want to worship and, and exalt Jesus Christ as Lord. That's why God gifts us in the church. But then we carry on very quickly into verses 4 to 6, and we see he says that now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And Paul was making clear that, you know, it is uh, this diversity that we see in the body of Christ, really reflects the God whom we worship. And you can see the Trinitarian formula he you know, alludes to. right? God the Spirit, God the Lord, Kyrios, Christ, and God the Father is the one who is at work, who empowers all these gifts in every single one of us. That all of us have these gifts. Fee continues in his commentary, he says this, Diversity within unity belongs to the character of the eternal triune God. That God gifts us because He, in different ways, because He loves the variety. And it's in that diversity that we actually see uh, the, the, the character of God reflected in the church. In verse 7, he says, And to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You know, it's possible at times for us to pursue gifts of the Spirit for our own ends. I remember uh, when I was working with young people in one of my previous churches, there was a young man who came up to me and said, Pastor, I want to become a prophet. <laughs> and he was saying to me he was going to pursue it, he was going to attend courses, he wants, he wants to be known as a prophet. And I had to stop him and I say, wait a minute, where is this coming from? <laughs> you know, I, no, the, don't mistake what I'm saying. 
I'm not saying it's wrong to have a desire to have the gift of prophecy. I think it's a wonderful gift that God gives the church. And I'm so glad for people who have that gift, you know. But as I began to unpack with him, I realized there was an ambition behind that desire. He realized that people with the gift of prophecy gained prominence. You know, the people who could speak words from God became uh, uh, respected. And, you know, that's the problem I think Paul also understood. He said gifts are given for the common good, not for your personal gain. You know that um, if you read through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, it's always important to look at the passage in its context. And 1 Corinthians 12 is married to 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, this is, uh, I don't want to get into, you know, in-depth exegesis, but let me tell you that basically if you read it carefully, you realize that Paul was actually addressing a peculiar, a particular concern with the church in Corinth. And it had to do largely with the gift of tongues. Not that the gift of tongues are a problem in and of itself. He desired that we should all speak in tongues, right? He, he speaks about that clearly. But the way in which it was exercised in the church in Corinth, it was causing a problem. And so he's laying the foundations here. He's talking about the fact that God gives a diversity of gifts, that one gift is not more important than the other. That's why chapter 12, he then speaks about the metaphor of the body, Right? You, you, you have different parts in the body. Just because you're not a hand, you cannot say, I'm not a part of the body. Or because you're a foot, you, you're just as important. That, you know, we cannot all be eyes. We cannot all be ears. You, know, that you have all these different parts of the body to function in the way God designs it to function. And he makes clear to say that none is more important than another. That all of us, this, this diversity is precisely as God intends it to be. And he says it because it is meant for the common good. And it's on that basis Then he then goes into 1 Corinthians 13. We all know the chapter which we always love. Uh, uh, it's a chapter on love, right? Paul didn't write that chapter so that uh, wedding couples will have a sermon preached for them. <laughs> the purpose of him speaking about love is because when we pursue the common good, we do it with the attitude of love. Wanting to love our neighbor as ourselves, wanting to love one another, love our brothers and our sisters in Christ. That the exercise of the gifts are important in doing that. And you know, if you read through First uh, Corinthians uh, uh, 13, you know, that's precisely what he's uh, attacking. And in fact, he starts out, right, say, if I speak with the gift of tongues of, uh, uh, with, with tongues of men and of angels, it's obvious that that's the, the issue which is being highlighted here of, of the use of tongues. And if you have any doubt, you go into chapter 14, he makes it very clear. And he points out, you know, tongues are good for personal edification. And it's meant to uh, build you up. But he says prophecy is better for the body because it really edifies the entire body. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised that's where that young man I'm talking about got his idea that he wanted to pursue that. But, you know, the, the, the point of it is this. That the diversity of gifts are given for the sake of the body of Christ. You know, sometimes... I find that there uh, is a, a reality that uh, happens within the church in which people are content 
for other people to have gifts. Right? Because it's better with no gifts, you can take cover, just sit in your pew and <laughs> you know, come and just attend and come and go as you please. But the fact of the matter is, what Paul is saying is that he gives gifts to all. And there are a variety. And you know, you may not want the gifts. It's not because you, you, you feel like, you, know, uh, you, you I mean, I hope it's, you're not wanting the gift maybe because you say, oh, I don't want too much prominence. That's one thing altogether. But denying your gift, on the other hand, is denying the body of Christ that gift. That God gifts you a gift for the sake of uh, um, the, the common good. That if you do not exercise your gift, you actually deprive the body of that gift. You, you get what I'm saying? And the variety of gifts that God has given are precisely meant to be exercised and used so that we build one another that is why he gives us gifts. Diversity is essential for a healthy church. But in the midst of that diversity, there is a unity. He goes on in verses 8 to 10. He says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, the word of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another, various kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. And uh, we are well familiar with this list of gifts. You know, we often uh, look at it as, as um, um, paralleling. Here we have nine gifts of the Spirit. You go into the book of Galatians, there are nine fruit of the Spirit. But you realize that that wasn't Paul's intent because you know, as he lists these gifts, he never intended for this list to be exhaustive. It's an important list nonetheless, and it's important to exercise these gifts in the church. Some of us have them, and we, if we do, we are meant to exercise them. But if you look further into this chapter, actually towards the end of the chapter, you see that he begins to list other gifts in different ways. He says that now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, prophets, third teachers. Does that gift, uh, gift listing sound familiar? <laughs> right? In Ephesians, he says apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's, it's the same list in a sense, but not exhaustively listed here. Then he goes on, he says, miracles, gifts of healing. These are the part of the gifts that he had earlier listed. But then he goes on, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Helping and administering are gifts that were listed in the gift list that Paul gives in the book of Romans. <laughs> so you see, there, uh, there are a whole slew of gifts that God gives us. And, and, you know, sometimes we think of the more spectacular gifts and think of them as... Uh, desirable, and I, I don't blame you because that's human nature, isn't it? But even the gift of administrating is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, last night we were at cell group and we were studying the book of Acts and we were reading Acts chapter 6. And, you know, it always stands out to me when they were selecting the, the six deacons, uh, seven deacons rather, <laughs> uh, to help administer the distribution of food to the widows you know, one of the qualifications they had was that they had to be full of the Holy Spirit. 
that even you know, doing an administrative task required them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on and he says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. There's nothing wrong to have an ambition to have giftedness. But the point is this. In verse 11 he says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, it is God who decides who gets what and when. And you know, when God gives a gift, it's a good gift. No matter what it is. Never despise the gift that God has given you. But also don't bury the gift that God has given you. I mean, Jesus taught that parable of the talents. It's about the giftedness, the the. the, the what God has put in our hands, make sure that you make use of it. Verses 12 and 13 continue saying, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. That there is a diversity in the unity, but there's also a unity in the diversity. In all the diverse parts coming together, it forms a unified whole and forms a body that's meant to be what God has intended it to be. And he goes on and he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized to one body. Sounds familiar. <laughs> right? It's in our communion service. Uh, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. That Paul makes clear that everyone matters in the church that all of us have an important part in this church, that you matter in that you, know, you are an important component of the church, but also when you withhold yourself from the body, it matters. Because the church is impoverished, the church is poorer, the fellowship is poorer because you choose to step out and not be part of the body. As we think about this uh, uh, on this day of Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit and, and, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you stand on this. I know that Good Shepherd was right on one of the epicenters of the charismatic renewal in the 70s, but you know, years have passed and new people have come in. And I know there's a variety of uh, uh, approaches or um, concerns about things of the Spirit. But I want to point out to you that you know, the Holy Spirit is God. That's precisely what Paul was trying to point out with his uh, Trinitarian formula. That the gifts of the Spirit are equally gifts of God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. That to be wary of God giving spiritual gifts is to say, you know, I don't want a gift from you, God. And I think, you know, it's, it's something that we should never have uh, uh, any concern about. But more than that, you realize that when God gives us the Holy Spirit, it's an important aspect of what it means to live the Christian life. Let me go back to Ephesians 1, uh, which I had shared when we had talked about uh, um, um, the ascension last week. Uh, We didn't read this part of the passage, but it sets up what came later. And anyway, he says to the Ephesian church, "...in him also, when you heard the word of truth..." 
the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And I think most of us understand deposits, right? Sometimes you want to purchase something and you have to order it because they don't have anything in stock and it has to be an overseas order. They want a deposit to make sure in earnest that you're going to purchase it. And often, more often than not, it's a deposit that would hurt your pocketbook if you don't go ahead with the, the, the purchase, you know, so that the, the, the merchant doesn't lose money. Or if you have the money or if you've been buying property, you know, you want to uh, lock in the price, you have to put a deposit. It's, it's a de- saying that I guarantee you that the rest of the payment will come. And that's precisely what the Holy Spirit is, is to guarantee us that the rest of our inheritance will come. We live in a time which is the already and not yet. We live in a time when sin continues to rule and reign in this world, and we see the effects of it. Disease, difficulties, the problems of broken relationships as a result of sin. And we struggle sometimes, we ask, you know, Lord, why? Why do we have to live in such a world? The Holy Spirit is the deposit tells us that something more is coming. That's why He brings gifts of healing. To tell us that, you know, that in the end, disease and tears and death will be no more. Despite the fact that in the here and now, we still uh, uh, live with the reality of it. And not only that, He is telling us that there is an inheritance to come. And part of the inheritance is the fact that we are the church of Jesus Christ. And this part we talked about last week. Uh, and in, uh, later on in the passage in Ephesians 1, he points out, remember, J- Jesus ascended to the right hand of God and all authority was then given to him. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Basically, you know, uh, I was saying to the young people, this is the ultimate everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> is the church of Jesus Christ. Right? It's not some science fiction, metaverse uh, type uh, uh, um, movie concept. But that the church is meant to be everything, everything everywhere, all at once. Yeah, I can't remember the movie title, never mind. <laughs> uh, yesterday we had a um, uh, conference up here, an unconference, the Movement Day, and where we looked at different um, uh, uh, topics. And one of the topics that came up was how can the church leverage technology for the gospel? And <clears throat> uh, uh, I, I was making the point from here that, you know, the reason we, the church, need to not be afraid of technology you know, and, and one of the um, members in my group was a young 21-year-old and, and trying to explain to us, you know, how uh, the young people now live in the cyber world. That, uh, and, and she acknowledges it's a problem. She used a, a term I never heard before. She, she says, why do we spend so much time in social media and all that? She says it's copium. Trying to cope, it's like opium, right? <laughs> copium, she says. And she acknowledges it's a problem. 
But the reality is that's where a lot of young people get their information. You know, that, that sometimes young people nowadays, they want to find out how to change a light bulb, they go to TikTok. <laughs> Don't worry, I was telling them, you'll not see me doing a TikTok dance as a pastor. Okay, that's beyond me. <laughs> that's not my intent. But I was making the point, or I was sharing with them, and I was saying, you know, when the church is to be all, uh, fill all, in all, it means the church is to be where the world is. That God has filled us with His Holy Spirit, And then he places us all over the world so that his spirit fills the world through his church. Right? The church is the only organization that's found in every nation of the earth. Yes, in some places they're small. In some places they may not seem very prominent because they are under persecution. Yet, you'll find brothers and sisters in Christ there. I mean, just talk to our brother, uh, 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 Pakchi, who just came back from Central Asia, right? He tells me some churches, to avoid detection, they can only meet with three or four people. <laughs> Any larger than that, the, the authorities swoop in and stop them. But they're there. They are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who are there and they feel all in all. And, and, and the point I made to the group was that, you know, I think we shouldn't uh, uh, be afraid of getting into technology and occupying that space as well. And fill it with the Holy Spirit because we are filled with the Holy Spirit and redeem what the devil has used for his purposes in that sense. But let me conclude. You know, at the end of the day, what was happening with the Corinthian church was their emphasis uh, on a misguided spirituality caused them to try to pursue a a peculiar manifestation of tongue speaking because it became an end in itself, uh, most likely. I mean, we're reading between the lines somewhat because clearly Paul doesn't have a problem with speaking in tongues, but the way in which it was practiced was obviously problematic in the Corinthian church. That the issue was that they were focusing so much more on these things than on the God whom they worshipped. And so Paul was trying to bring back order in their worship. But, you know, Paul was also very clear that uh, we need to be spirit-filled. We need to be a people who pursue an uh, infilling of the Holy Spirit. You know, he, elsewhere in, in, in um, Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And it's an ongoing filling in the language there, that it's not something that happens one time and uh, 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 we, we stop, right? It's, it's meant to be an ongoing process in the Christian life. Why is it important? You know, we've been preaching and teaching and talking, for example, about this theme for our year, that God has called each and every one of us for such a time as this. And part of it is that, you know, we are to exercise our our God-given place in the place, uh, uh, the position God has placed us, whether it be in the marketplace or in the home or in society or in our neighborhoods, that, you know, God has put us there as a witness, but also as an influence, you know, as a person who would stand up for the things of God and the, 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 the ways of God and be a beacon of light, But truth be told, many of us struggle in that, don't we? 
Well, that's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because it's not something you do in and of yourself. That's, again, the lesson we uh, were reading yesterday, which was so powerful. I mean, I've studied the book of Acts many times, but sometimes going through it again helps. You know, each step of the way, we see the deacons were filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church, was able to so eloquently rebut the charges against him, but, you know, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. It was clear from the passage, that's what it said, that he did it in the power of the Spirit. He was able to stand up and speak clearly. He gave a clear witness. And you know, in case you think his witness was ineffective, it was pointed out right at the very end of that passage. There was a young man who was holding the coats of those who had stoned Stephen to death, and his name was Saul, who later became Paul. And it's undoubted that, you know, that incident must have left an indelible impression upon Saul because, on Paul, because later on in the book of Acts, he recounts the fact that he was actually there when Stephen was stoned. And, you know, it's all because Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you struggle to live the Christian life? Do you struggle to love as Christ calls you to love? Do you struggle to worship when you come into this place? God gives us the power to overcome that struggle and it's the power of His Holy Spirit. And I hope that today, you know, you would open your hearts and open your lives and be willing for God to touch you afresh. I leave you with this thought. You know, the disciples in Luke 11 were asking Jesus, please teach us to pray. And Jesus taught them uh, the Lord's Prayer. And then He began to teach about prayer and uh, towards the end of that teaching, he came to that section where he says, Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Then he says to them, you know, you evil fathers, if you ask for a fish, will you give your child a snake? If your child asks for an egg, will you give them a scorpion? No. If you are evil, you know how to give your children good gifts? He says this, If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You believe we worship a good Father? Amen? Are you willing to ask Him for a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit? All you have to do is ask and He will give. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's prepare our hearts to ask afresh for a fresh move of the Spirit in our lives. Not just for our personal life, but also to enrich us as a church, as the body of Christ. Because we need Him now more than ever. Father, we come before You, before Your throne of grace. And we thank You, Lord, that You are a God who loves us with an everlasting love. That right from the beginning, Lord, you knew us, you saw us, and you came for us. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live as one of us. But more importantly, ultimately, to die on our behalf. To pay the price for our sin that we could never pay. But then, Lord, you raised him to life again from the dead. 
to show us that, Lord, that righteousness which Jesus has is now ours to those of us who believe, who call upon your name. That everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. Thank you, Lord, for our salvation. But Father, we know that we still continue to live life here on earth. And we acknowledge that, Lord, we are weak and we are powerless in ourselves to live the life you've called us to live. Now, Lord, I ask for myself and on behalf of each and every person here, Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and do that work in us that we need to empower us, to allow us to live into our giftedness, so that, Lord, we may love one another and that the world may know we are your disciples. Thank you, Lord. These things we ask and we pray in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen.